Today's message is a particularly somber, I should say sobering message, not somber. It's exciting, but it is calibrating. I want to encourage you today, I'm going to pray right now, for you to ask the Spirit of God to guide your mind and your life as we address what I believe to be critically important issues in relationship to being ready for the coming of Jesus. Now, we all want to be ready when Jesus comes. But to be ready, you can't be ordinary. You can't be a part of the meandering maze of mediocrity. You can't just want to ponder in the pool of popularity. And you have to get to the point where you don't want to negotiate at the table of the enemy. You've got to look beyond the fog, beyond the hard days, beyond the challenging moments. You've got to recognize that this little ball called Earth is the only place we have right now. Why would we stand and hold on to this when God wants to give us everything? When God wants to introduce us to unfallen worlds, uncompromised societies, when God wants to roll out his credit card and say, there is no limit in my kingdom, when God wants to bless us and give us everything that man hasn't even yet seen, why would we want to settle for a crumb, for a grain of sand on the shores of endless time? God wants to give the remnant everything. So I want to bow with you as we go before the Lord and ask him to give us minds to hear what his spirit has to say to us this morning. Loving Father in heaven, surely we are standing on the borders of the, an eternal world. Not this world. We're not standing on the borders of eternal sinful pleasure. We are looking forward to the world of eternal sinless pleasure. We are not standing on the portal of a world where we finally find an earthly political leader that can carry us through. We already have a leader. His name is Jesus, and he alone can carry us through. And so we pray today as we open the bread of life, as we break the bread of life, that we will eat so abundantly of it that our minds will be recalibrated Whatever doubt there may have been in our hearts, it will be erased. And we will stand unmoved in a shaking world to be a part of the remnant. So take this message now and feed your people. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The remnant. The remnant. Simply put, what is there about the remnant? that makes the devil so angry. You know, I've come to the place that if I can get the devil angry, I know the Lord is happy. If I do something that ticks him off, I'm doing something that gives joy to the heart of an almighty, sinless God. I don't mind being on the devil's bad side as long as I'm on the Lord's good side. And so I've made my mind up. I've come through storms and tempests and winds. I've, 
I've had my share of battles, and I'm sure that there may be some more in the future. But I'm going to keep going because I know the best is yet ahead of us. And we're not just a church. We're not just a denomination. We're not just a jelly bean in the quagmire of political choice. But God has called us to be the remnant. The remnant. Once again, Revelation 12 and verse 17 says to us, And the dragon was wroth with the woman. Would you read that with me? And the dragon, that Satan, was wroth with the woman. And went to make war with the remnant of her seed. And what do they do? Why is he upset? Together, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. That text alone tells me that by God's grace and by the Holy Spirit's power, somebody can keep the commandments of God. That verse tells me that Jesus never nailed the commandments of God to the cross. That verse tells me that in spite of what popular preachers are saying today, the commandments of God still can be kept. There are those that are saying something's wrong with it. Well, based on that text, the only one that thinks that something's wrong with it is the devil. There's nothing wrong. It is the perfect law of God designed to produce and develop a perfect people that will stand on the shores of eternity. So there's nothing wrong with the commandments of God. Not only that, the Bible says they don't only keep the commandments of God, but they have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And Revelation 19 says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So my brethren today, God has always given his people a peek behind the curtain. As Amos 3 verse 7 says, surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveal his secrets to his servants, the prophets. God has blessed the remnant church through the ministry of a humble servant, Ellen White, who God has anointed with wisdom and understanding, who God has given intellect and insight, whom God has given a foundation on the immutable, unchangeable law of God, the perpetuity of the law of God, who says to the people of God, before this happens, here is what is coming. Praise God that the people of God are not left in the dark. What do you say? God wants his people to stand firmly. The reason why is the day is approaching when Jesus is going to introduce the remnant, his eternal allies. The day is coming, my friends, when polarization will be complete and polarity will be absolute. Everyone is going to be on one side or the other. It makes sense not to wait until that day. It makes sense to pick your seats on that final flight before the plane takes off. Come on, somebody. It makes sense to sit on the plane that is destined for glory. The old ship of Zion has room enough for all the passengers that accept the saving grace of Jesus Christ. What do we say today? It doesn't make sense to be left out. Everyone is going to be on one side or the other. There will be no middle ground. There will be no neutral places. Categorical distinctions will be unmistakably clear. 
just as it is in the sports arena. We can identify our favorite team. Well, I'm going to tell you today, heaven is looking for its favorite team, and the name of its favorite team is the remnant. Come on, somebody. The remnant, unmoved in a shaken world. The remnant in a compromised society. In a world where the church is drinking the wine of Babylon, when the cup is extended to the remnant, they say, I don't drink. I don't want that. I'm not eating the bread of popular religion. I'm standing on the unfermented wine of the blood of Jesus. I'm standing on the uncompromised word of one who gave his life for me. And with forward vision, Jesus looks down the portals of eternity. And with panoramic vision, he describes this contrasting view. Notice the words of Christ. He says in Matthew 12 and verse 30, unmistakably, he that is not with me is where? Against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. My brethren and my sisters, those watching, those listening, in the final contest between light and darkness, good and evil, and Christ and Satan, the middle of the road will not exist. But I want to say today, God has people in every church of the world, and the remnant understands that. The remnant's job is to proclaim a message. Jesus said, other sheep I have that are not of this fold. But I love the fact that he did not stop there. He said, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice. And there will be one fold and one shepherd. When you listen to the voice of God, the word of God, you will find the fold of God. Today, more than ever before, we don't need more political rhetoric. We need the uncompromising word of God. The churches today, we don't need more entertainment. We need the word of God that never grows dim. We don't need a new proxy or a new ideology or a new form of excitement. We need to find joy in reading and eating and imbibing the word of God. What do you say today? The final contest, light and darkness, good and evil, Christ and Satan, no middle ground. On that glorious day, Jesus will present to the universe those that have endured deprivation and hardship for the sake of the cross. I love the way my dear brother who's resting in Jesus said it now, and I say this with solemn respect. Elder Brooks once said in front of a packed congregation, he says, it doesn't make sense to live in hell Go through hell and end, up in, and end up in hell. Come on, somebody. It doesn't make sense to go through a hardship not knowing how your ends are going to meet when Jesus is saying, I will supply all of your need according to my riches and glory. It doesn't make sense to wonder what's going to happen when Jesus says death is not the end of the story. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his, of, of his saints. I want to die in Christ if he doesn't soon come. I want to lay in that grave knowing that when the trumpet sounds, I will be in the first group. The day is coming when everybody will be permanently and irreversibly divided into two groups, the unjust and the filthy on the left, the holy and the righteous on the right, the goats on the left. Why the goats? Because every time the Lord reveals truth to them, they say, I know, but I know about the Sabbath, but I prefer Sunday. 
I know that when you die, you go to the grave, but I prefer to say you're in heaven now. On the other side will be the sheep. Why? They follow the lamb wherever he led them. Why? Because they're content to make Jesus Christ their Lord, not money, not music, not entertainment, not popularity. I must decrease and Christ must increase. On that day, there'll only be two groups and everybody will be permanently and irreversibly divided into one of those categories. But on that day, make no mistake about it. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2, verse 10 and 11, he says, at the name of Jesus, how many knees, friends? Come on, talk to me today. How many knees? Every knee should bow of those in heaven, the unfallen worlds, and those on the earth, and those under the earth that have come out of the graves. And what are they going to say? That every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of the Father. Amen, somebody. I want to be in that group. I want to be able to say that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of the Father while I'm looking forward to ascending to the holy city. Because whether you ascend or whether you go to the lake of fire, everybody is going to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. My brethren, I saw this on the Baptist church sign. It says, repent now and avoid the rush. Repent now and avoid the rush. Because one day, there are going to be those running to the rocks and the mountains. And there are going to be those running from the rocks and the mountains. They're going to be saying, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. This is our Lord. We will rejoice and be glad in his salvation. And when you think about the development, the only pressing question today is, where will you kneel? Not necessarily where will you stand, but when the entire population of everyone that has ever lived is kneeling, the question is, where will you kneel? Revelation introduces this group that was 6,000 years in production. The remnant was a 6,000-year production project. But when you follow the Bible, the more fully we understand who they are, what they believe, where they can be found where they were born, and why it took so long to introduce them. When we understand those components, we understand who the remnant are. But to understand that, we've got to come together on a journey. Are you ready for the journey? Come with me to the last act in the controversy of the ages. Come with me to the presentation of the fellowship of the unashamed. Come to the introduction of those that have stood on uncompromising truth. You see, Revelation introduces the remnant in the unfolding scenes of last day events. Brethren, if you look at the world around you today, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt we are living in last day events. I mean, think about it. On one side, a disease that we cannot see. On the other side, an unrest that we cannot resolve. On the other side, political uncertainty. Uncertain about who is going to be in the White House next. But let me say today, I'm certain about who is going to be in the right house eternally. Hallelujah. On the other side, storms, uncontrollable storms, fires that cannot be checked. 
when you understand these are indicators, these are harbingers that something great and decisive is about to take place and that our world is on the verge of a stupendous crisis. When you study the remnant, Revelation chapter 12 walks us through the development of verse 17. In other words, before we get down to the fact that the dragon is angry with the woman that keeps the commandments of God and has the testimony of Jesus, we've got to understand six very important things about the remnant. Let me give you the first one. If you're writing it down, here it is. The remnant stay focused amidst worldly distractions. I'll say that again. The remnant will remain focused amidst worldly, financial, and political distractions. The remnant are those divinely commissioned to proclaim to the world God's last message of mercy. Have mercy. You know, I think about the days of Noah. Noah preached for 120 years, and people mocked him. Today, people say, what Advent movement? Who are they keeping the Sabbath, thinking they're all that? No, I don't think I'm all that, but I know that Jesus is all that. I want to be on the side of the one who know he is all that. All the world needs is the one who doesn't compromise. And I want to say something else. We don't have the truth. I want to say that again. We don't have the truth. The truth has us. We don't own the truth. I'm not going to make the mistakes the Jews made, thinking that they were the ones that possessed the truth. I want to be on the right side. Until the truth possesses you, Christ will never be in your heart. We follow the truth not because we want to be popular, but because we want to be commissioned to proclaim this message to get others. And I believe today there are countless millions around the world waiting to hear the message. What do you say, Donald? There are countless millions that cause Bob Eads to have tracks in his car whenever he goes to the airport. Come on, right? When Bob goes to the store, he has tracks looking for the, that other sheep. When I drive my car and my wife is with me, we've got pamphlets in our bag when we sit in the restaurants because there's another sheep in the restaurant. Come on, somebody, talk to me. When I go to the hospital in the emergency room, God sends another sheep in the midst of an examination and she finds the truth about the Sabbath. That's who the remnant are. They are ready. Be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within us. This group is commissioned to give the last message of mercy prior to the close of probation and the return of Jesus. And I want to tell you today, when you go to Walmart, that's our store down here. That's our superstore. That's our mall. When you go to Walmart, the Bible is saying, if you are a part of the remnant, live like a person who's a part of the remnant. Speak like a person who's a part of the remnant. Walk like a person who's a part of the remnant. I was in Walmart a few months ago. Matter of fact, I'm in Walmart all the time. And I see people that know me that I don't know. And I remember when the masks were first recommended that we should all wear it. A guy walked up to me with a mask. I didn't even know who he was, but he knew who I was. And he said, Rim? He called me Rim. He said, I watch you all the time. I don't necessarily believe everything you believe, but I always watch 3ABN. God bless you. Keep on watching. Come by, somebody say amen. Keep on watching. I believe that God, as Molly Steenson used to say, God has closet Adventists. That when the trumpet blows, that closet door is going to open. They're going to run out to meet Jesus. 
So don't worry about who's converted when. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. Our job is, say it with me, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The remnant will proclaim that message prior to the close of probation and the return of Jesus. Why? Because the remnant, Bob, are convinced through the fulfillment of Bible prophecy that the time has come for the last message to be given to the world. Now let me pause. Why would anybody want a world like this to last a thousand more years? I would vote if I had a chance for the world to end before the election. Because I don't believe that, I, I'm going to go Brooklyn on you, I don't care who's in the White House, there's not one president that has ever risen to that seat that has resolved the issue of sin. But somehow we get sucked into the political agenda when Jesus is screaming to us in John 18, verse 36, these words, he said it to his disciples. You see, the remnant are not politically sidetracked by the agenda of a divided world. The remnant are divorced from worldly alliances. Look at the reason why. Jesus said in John 18, verse 36, I give you the latter part of the verse. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. Can you say that with me? My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. Now that's a revelation. I would suggest to you today, the reason why the remnant message is a priority is because Satan is seeking to divide the remnant. And if the remnant people are angry with each other about politics, we can't be angry with the devil about religion. If we are fighting over who we pick on the earthly side of things, we could never be united of who we're going to stand with on the heavenly side of things. Lord, have mercy. The quagmire of foolishness on social media, remnant people arguing, arguing with other people claiming to be remnants over somebody who has to put on his pants one leg at a time every day whose life is sustained by the breath that comes from the nostrils of God. I want to tell you, we can be involved in the political process, but my brethren, don't ever allow politics to eclipse the undiluted message that Jesus has given his life for. My kingdom is not of this world. Don't be mistaken about it. In the book, Councils for the Church, page 344 in paragraph 4, the servant of the Lord says this, Satan hopes to involve the remnant people of God in the general ruin that is coming upon the world. He's planning, he's plotting, he's getting ready. She goes on to say, as the coming of Christ draws nigh, he, that is Satan, will be more, what's the next word? Determined and decisive in his efforts to overthrow them. My brethren, don't ever get so locked down in temporal things that you are arguing with your brother and sister 
about things that will evaporate in the fires of hell. It's good to be a part of a political process. That's the right of every citizen on the planet. But when that becomes more of a priority than the everlasting gospel, what gospel did I say? The everlasting gospel. When that becomes more of a priority, when you invest in temporal kingdoms and you won't return an honest tithe and offering in an eternal kingdom, something's wrong. When more money is going to politicians than to the advancement of the cause of God, something is wrong. When people are writing checks for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands to men that lie to us every day, something's wrong. And the kingdom of God is saying, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also unmistakably clear. We put our money where our hearts are. Lord, have mercy. When the Lord opens the books of accounting, I want to see my money in the heavenly bank. Come on, somebody. I want to see all those entries. He returned tithes and offerings to my eternal kingdom. I don't want to see a single entry of a political donation because I don't believe that any man on this planet holds the answer to that eternal problem of sin. Only Jesus does that. What do you say? But make no mistake about it. The same tactic that Satan used on the people of God in the Old Testament is the same tactic that he's going to use on the people of God in the last days. Look at Nehemiah. Nehemiah highlights the story of the condition of the people of God after they returned from captivity. And he talked about the condition that they experienced. And I will say to you today, this experience is not specifically only applied to what happened to Israel then, but it has great application to us today. In the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1 and verse 3, look at the picture drawn in Scripture. The Bible says, and they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in what, my friends? Great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Walls are broken down. Satan is trying to break our walls down. He's trying to burn our gates with fire. Now look at the comparison. There were gates and walls in Jerusalem. There are gates and walls in the New Jerusalem. But I want to tell you something about the gates in the New Jerusalem. There will be no sin and the gates will never be closed. You can go in and out because that's a perfect city. But God gave walls and gates to his earthly Jerusalem. And the devil understood that if I can break down their walls... They will be in great distress, great affliction, and they will be a reproach in the eyes of humanity. What a sad picture of a people that God calls to be an example, a light, a bulwark to a failing world. What a picture. They are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. And when I talk about wall today, let me make it very clear. I'm not talking about the wall that separates Mexico from the U.S., I'm talking about the wall between the world and the church. The wall was intended to keep the enemy out. Satan wants to break down our wall, which brings me to my next point. The remnant, the remnant preserves their alliance with Jesus. You see, only as we preserve our alliance with Jesus will our walls be firm. 
We've got to know who we stand with. Because Jesus can build some walls, not to keep people out, but to keep the saved in. And today our walls are being beaten on. A lot of these walls are walls that are coming at the church in the modern setting of things. We've got a lot of problems today. The church is facing a lot of challenges. And I want to make it clear, I've been, I've been swinging the sledgehammer today, but I want to make it very, very clear. Because if there's anything that I could do is I can hear. I can hear. I can hear all of the jargon that's, that's distracting the church. But make no mistake about it, when the disciples were faced with whether to be allegiant to Caesar or to Christ, Jesus made a striking separation between religion and politics. Notice in Matthew, what he said in Matthew 22 and verse 21. Listen to what Jesus said to the disciples. In the day when Rome was wielding a sledgehammer of uncompromising, crushing power, he said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Can we say that one more time together? Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and, the, and to God the things that are God's. Can I define that? Can I, can I break that down? Today, today, politics belong on Caesar's podium, but Jesus belongs in God's podium. Keep them separate. Don't even get so close that people said, watch out. Keep them separate. There are too many people. I learned something as a, as a growing pastor. And as my head elder said a moment ago, when you start getting gray, it ought to mean you're wiser than you used to be. And I learned something very valuable. That no matter how well you think you know the issues, when you start talking politics, Cynthia, to somebody, right away, the spirit of division starts rising in the heart because they start listening to every word you say. Isn't that right, Karen? They were nice to you, but the moment you say something that walks across their pinky toe and you touch their political pet or you say something against the person they have been investing their breathing moments in, you'll find out how much of a friend they really are. Jesus said, give to Caesar what's his, but give to God what is his, and don't ever let the two podiums mesh together. My brethren, let me tell you, as a pastor, keep political campaigning out of the pulpits of God. Don't tell people who to vote for. That's not your job. God didn't pay you to be political. God didn't pay you to be Republican or Democrat. He paid you to be holy. We got too much of this division going on in our church. But I like the way that the servant of the Lord, Ellen White, pointed this out because this is not something new. This happened in 1898. And notice how she dealt with it. She wrote a letter. She called it letter number four, 1898, paragraph 17. And notice how she addressed this issue of what happens when politics enters into the pulpit where people are looking for Christ. 
She says, just as soon as those who claim to believe present truth feel at liberty because of the example given them by who? Ministers. Lord, have mercy. Keep me straight. And men who are supposed to be stewards of sacred truths to mingle with the world and take part in its politics, they have awakened a spirit of what? Strife and burning enthusiasm that quenches the spirit of God in the human heart. And then she says, and opens the door wide for the enemy of all righteousness to take possession. You wonder why there's such hatred in the political environment right now? You wonder why people don't like each other, why people don't even want to keep the law, why people don't even want to wear masks? In America, we will never get rid of COVID-19. Why? Because this thing has been politically weaponized. And we're complaining that the numbers are going up, that people are dying in every age category because we have made this not a medical emergency, but a political issue. I was talking to a group of 40 pastors just a few days ago, actually a little more than a week ago, and I said, my brethren, as clergy, we must not allow ourselves to stand against the things that will keep us healthy and safe. Somebody ought to say amen. And whether you believe, just like many years ago when the non-smoking in public places was passed, my dad, who is now dead, he died in 2006. He was not a Christian. He got so angry, he said, how dare the government tells me where I can and cannot smoke? And somebody said to him, well, you can smoke all you want in your own house, but when your smoke gets up my nose, you're putting my health at risk. When you start sneezing in people's faces and think that what you have won't affect them, you are living in the age of unreality, lack of reality. You're not living in a real environment. And people today have weaponized this issue. I don't want to wear a mask. Well, if you don't want to wear a mask, do that in your house. But I'm going to wear one. Because if you think the numbers are just prefabricated, you are also walking down a path that is not realistic. Why are we putting lives at risk just because we want to make a political statement? My brethren, let's be wise. Not, if the world wants to be foolish, the Christian ought to be wise. Somebody ought to say amen. These are issues that are problems even in the Adventist church. Schools have been opened up recently, college campuses, and these young folk are getting together with these super spreader events. They think that because they're between 18 and 35 that they are exempt. No, my brethren, nobody is exempt from disease and infection. But that's what's happening, the weaponizing of it. Many Christian leaders today are trading the gospel for politics. And as you read in that text in Nehemiah, they have broken down the wall that separates them from Christ. And strife is the result. But why is this happening? Here's why it's happening. Let's look at Councils on Stewardship, page 154. Ellen White tells us why it is happening. She says on page 154, as the people of God approach the perils of the last days. What days, friends? The last days, Satan holds earnest consultation with his angels as to the most successful plan of overthrowing their faith. That's what's happening right now as we sit here. He's waiting for you to leave church to overthrow your faith. He's waiting for Monday morning to come to overthrow your faith. He's waiting for your family to act up to overthrow your faith. But look what she says. 
He sees that the popular churches are already, what? Lulled to sleep. Don't sleep on me while I'm preaching because you'll be just like them. You want to sleep, go home, but don't preach, don't sleep while I'm preaching. That's what the devil wants to do. He wants to lull you to sleep like he's lulled them to sleep. He sees that the popular churches are already lulled to sleep. How? By his deceptive power. She continues. By pleasing sophistry and lying wonders, he can continue to hold them under his control. Therefore, look at the change. He says, I already got them, but look at the rest of the quote. Therefore, he directs his what? Angels to lay their snare, especially for those who are looking for the second advent of Christ. Who are they? Adventists. Seventh-day Adventists. And endeavoring to keep, how many? All the commandments of God. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. The popular churches are lulled to sleep by the prosperity gospel. That's why God has allowed the COVID-19 to shut down these mega gatherings. Ain't no more 30,000 people meeting on Sunday. The mega leaders can't sustain their mega lifestyles in the COVID-19 environment. I listened to some of them. I was listening to the pastors of different denominations. They say, we ain't getting no money. Well, let me make a point here. If the COVID-19 environment, if that's all it takes to break your allegiance as a faithful steward of God's money, you have never been converted. A disease will prevent me from returning tithe and offering? Absolutely not. But the mega leaders can't sustain their mega lifestyles in the COVID-19 environment. And the real reason, if you study as I study, the real reason why they want their churches back open, because we are entering a political season and evangelical leaders want to turn their churches into political polling places. I remember when I was in the Heritage Singers years ago, I think Bill Clinton was running for president and I was in a church on Sunday. We were singing for the service in the morning. We went all different types of denominations, and they had a flyer in the foyer, a vote for Bill Clinton is a vote against God. And one minister said once we were in a church, I tell you, I looked at somebody else in the group, they said, if you vote for so-and-so, your membership will be moved from this congregation. That's what's happening in the churches today. These evangelical leaders are telling people, you follow what I say. Let me tell you something, brethren, you better follow what Jesus says. But that's the cancer in these popular churches. But let me ask a question. Why would you keep the doors open where the truth of God is not being preached? That's why the doors are still open here. Come on, somebody. The popular churches aren't popular anymore. Nobody's packing the parking lots of these 25, 30,000 member mega entertainment venues. And God is saying, use the airwaves, use the radio waves, use the internet and YouTube and social media to proclaim the undiluted three angels' messages. Today, Jesus has leveled the playing field. The churches are lulled asleep by something else, by their popular music. That's why God has also shut down the mega concert venues. Christians getting together, as C.D. Brooks once said, I think it was E. Cleveland or C.D. Brooks, one of the two, but... Men of God, they said, C.D. Brooks said, it's not how high you jump, but it's how straight you walk when you hit the ground. <laughs> People want to jump up and down praising God. I love you, Lord. But when you say keep the commandments, then you see whether or not they love the Lord. 
Don't say, I love you, Lord, if you don't want to keep his commandments. When he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Don't lie to yourself. If you love him, keep his commandments. But don't say something in a song that you don't plan on living in. Don't sing about the Sabbath when you don't keep the Sabbath. If you're going to sing about the Sabbath, keep the Sabbath. God is not seduced by lip service. God is not seduced by a good voice or melodious tones. The devil sang better than anybody that has ever walked the earth. And look where he ended up. These mega churches can't drug their audiences through emotionalism. One pastor said to me, we don't know what to do. He, he directly told me, we don't know what to do because we live on hype. That was a quote. Our churches live on hype. We don't know what to do. Brethren, we don't live on hype. We live on the power of God's word. We don't live on hype. We live on the blessed assurance that Jesus is ours. Because you see in these emotional places, instead of following the spirit, they just want to feel the spirit. Lord, have mercy. But when you study the Bible, go to 1 Kings chapter 18. When you study the Bible, and I'm going to read this from the NIV because it's unmistakably clear. I love the way that it is phrased in the NIV. You see, the Mount Carmel showdown was an indelible example of God's response to false prophets and false leaders. Look at 1 Kings 18, verse 26. You know the story. Elijah was preaching an uncompromising message. Ahab, a man that God chose, married Jezebel, a woman that God did not choose, and led Israel into apostasy. And God called Israel to accountability. And, and God told Elijah, have a showdown on Mount Carmel. Get them all together. I'll be on your side. Let them do their thing and see who responds. And the Bible says in 1 Kings 18, verse 26, notice what he says. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till when? And you guys are complaining about one hour service. From morning till noon, they made noise. And they said, oh, Baal, answer us. Let me make a point here. You can't answer a God made of concrete. You can't answer a God made of styrofoam or a God that's on your dashboard shaking like a, like a leaf. You can't answer a God that's been painted in a factory cannot talk. A God that has been stood upon brick and stone with hands that you carved can't move those hands when you need him to move. That's the kind of God they served. The Bible says, O Baal, answer us. And the Bible says, they shouted, but look at the verse. But there was no response. No one answered. And what else did they do? They danced around the altar they made. Some folk want to dance in the Adventist church. They say, why don't we dance? Well, you could join them and dance. I want to be able to march to Zion. Come on, somebody help me out. All this emotionalism, feeling like we're righteous when we don't want to live righteous. They danced. They spent all day shouting and yelling, but God did not answer them. You know why? Because God responds to the sincere in heart. God responds to those in truth, not in emotion, which brings me to my third point. The remnant will not abandon truth will not abandon truth. They won't sell it. They won't trade it. They won't give it up. The psalmist David says in Psalm 145 and verse 16, 
in verse 18, notice the words he says. The Lord is near to how many? All who call upon him. If you don't know the Lord, call him. When you call on the Lord, he'll answer and he'll lead you into a sincere relationship. But there's a second part of the verse. The Lord is near to all who call upon him. To all who call upon him in what? In truth. People today want religion, but they don't want truth. I've been with a lot of pastors and I try to share with them about particular teachings in the Bible. I've been to funerals and heard some of the greatest lies ever told from the mouth of those who claim to be preaching from God's word. And when I pull some of them aside and say, well, that's not what the Bible says, they walk away because they can't stand the light. Let me tell you something. If the light is too bright, those who love darkness will stay in darkness. But the people of God will not abandon truth. Why? Because the commitment that stirred Jezebel and Ahab in anger toward Elijah is the same commitment that stirs Satan's anger against the remnant. Look what happened. Look at 1 Kings 18, verse 17. You see, Elijah knows that Ahab and Jezebel are looking to take his life, and he shows up. And the servant of Ahab sees Elijah standing there, and Elijah says, go call your master. And he says, are you playing with me? We've been looking for you for months. I'm going to go call Ahab, and when I come back, you're not going to be here, and he's going to kill me. Is that what you want to happen? And Elijah said, I'll stay right here. And when Ahab came out to see Elijah, look at verse 17 of 1 Kings. Elijah, look what Ahab said. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elisha, Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? Is that you, O troubler of Israel? Are you the one making trouble? There was a, there was a writer by the name of uh, uh, Dr. Walter Martin. If you've been around long enough, you may have heard the name. Dr. Walter Martin was a well-known theologian, quote-unquote, in the, in the Sunday world. He wrote many volumes of a book called Kingdom of the Cults. And in six of his volumes, he listed Seventh-day Adventists as a cult. You know why? Because we kept the Sabbath. So you don't keep Sunday like everybody else, so you must be a cult. And some Adventist pastors went to visit that man and sat him down and they had a, not a debate, but they walked together through the word of God. In volume number seven, Dr. Walter Martin, before he died, took Seventh-day Adventists out of that category and said, they are a viable Christian denomination. You see, whenever you say things that are unpopular, to other denominations, they'll say to you, are you the one that's causing trouble in Israel? But notice the dividing issue between the false prophet and the true. It's revealed in verse 18. Here's the issue that was then, and it's the issue that's going to be in the near future. Here's what the Bible said. And he said, that's Elijah speaking to Ahab, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have. What were they indicted about? Elijah said to Ahab, in that you have done what? Forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. I'm not the one that's the problem around here. You are the one that's the problem around here. You're the one 
that's causing the problem. Let me tell you something, my brethren. If keeping the commandments of God will call, will label me as a troublemaker, I want to be a troublemaker. Somebody help me out. If being obedient to a thus saith the Lord labels me as a troublemaker, I'm a troublemaker. I, like, like recently, John Lewis, you heard about it, you've been watching the news, this uh, African-American uh, 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 activist that died recently, he was known to get into good trouble. There's good trouble out there. When you stand on the Lord's side, that's good trouble. Come on, help me out. Good trouble. Stand for what's right. Good trouble. Paul knows what good trouble is all about. He got whipped in prison. He got beaten up. He got spat upon. He got chained, unchained, released, and then jailed again. He almost drowned. He almost got beaten to death. He got so many stripes, he can't even count how many. And then he got hung upside down when he died. But then he said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. I want that to be said about me. Can somebody say amen? I don't care what you do to me. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. Therefore, there is a crown of righteousness laid up for me, and not for me only, but unto all those that love is appearing, like an Olympian who stands before a marauding stadium of 100,000 people. When he puts on the flag of the nation he represents, he knows that when I've been on that line that I'm going to run my track meet, this is no time to snivel and say it's too cold. This is no time to say, I can't stand the large audience. This is the moment to focus on the race and keep your eyes on the finish line. But brethren, the devil is busy. He's not only trying to distract us with worldly things and things from other parts of Christendom, but he's working also from inside. He's using, quote, remnant believers against remnant believers. Testimonies for the church. The servant of the Lord warned us about this too. Notice what she said. Notice what she said. Men and women will arise professing to have some new light or some new revelation whose tendency is to unsettle faith in the old landmarks. People come and talking about the sanctuary doctrine has changed, new generation theology, the Holy Spirit. Since when... Since when has the Holy Spirit become so unimportant in God's kingdom? Come on, Donald, say something. Since when I found the need to divorce the Holy Spirit as a relegated byproduct or force in nature? Since when? The church nowadays, Adventists, arguing over the Holy Spirit's relevance. Lord, have mercy. Jesus, help us. Arguing about whether or not the Holy Spirit is a third person of the Godhead. Read your Bible and stop reading the books of men whose minds have been divorced for a long time from truth. You get some wise guy, some, some Adventist, uh, 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 what's the man's name, the evolutionist. Come on, help me out. Exactly. Whoever he is. Some guy comes with some evolutionary theological idea and sprays it into your mind and you believe it because it sounds plausible. My brethren, don't mess with the work of the Holy Spirit. 
And then you have those that come up with date setting. Trying to set the date for the close of probation. Let me tell you something. I would wish that the doors of probation would stay open long enough for somebody else to find Jesus. Come on, Iris, what do you say? Somebody in the prisons will find Jesus. Somebody in the jail cell in the hospitals in neighborhoods where Jesus' name and truth has not been preached yet will find Jesus. But people are trying to set dates. And the one that, the one that bothers me the most is when people say, we should have been in heaven a long time ago. Now follow this. Do you think that the Lord did not know when he was returning? <laughs> you didn't know. We should have been in heaven a long time ago. The Bible says the Lord has appointed a day in which he would judge the world. He didn't appoint that based on theology. He, point, he appointed that based on heaven's time clock. Jesus said continually over and over, Mine hour has not yet come. This is not mine hour. He knew the prophecies were clear. The Lord, as Elder Brooks once said when he was preaching at the general conference, he said, oh, I want to say this the way he said it. <laughs> Praise God. He was standing before a congregation of all Seventh-day Adventists at the general conference. Whites and blacks and Spanish and Chinese and Asian and every culture was sitting there and he took them back to Adventist history when, when the Advent message was only understood predominantly by whites in the upper Northeast. You know what he said? He said, the Lord did not intend to come in 1844. Why? He said, because y'all not going to heaven without us. <laughs> Amen, somebody. Amen. All nations are going together. There ain't going to be no racial segregation on that first class jet to heaven. <laughs> Brother, forget all that racial division. And people talking about why is there white conferences and black conferences. That's not the issue. Keep your eyes on Jesus who has in his veins blood for every race. Lord, the Bible says when they come with all these false doctrines, I continue in the quote, their doctrines will not bear the test of God's word, yet souls will be deceived. False reports will be circulated. There are those reinterpreting the 1260-year prophecy. I remember not too long ago, some ministers were bombarding, even some people that seemed to be credible, bombarding the Adventist church with the reinterpretation of the 1260-year prophecy, saying that in September, whatever, years ago, that the 1260 days started and probation was supposed to close last year. And I said to those brethren, you are wrong. That's not scriptural. The day came and went. And thousands of people that listened to these men whose minds were misdirected didn't know what to do. And one of them went on the internet and apologized and said, I thought I was right. And I wrote him a letter. I said, I told you you were wrong. I told you that was not scriptural. Now, brethren, when God has established the truth and has been solidified by studying God's word, don't allow somebody looking for new and fanciful things to take your mind and make a fool out of you. And they say, but it's in a book, books that men write that people that have understanding don't even edit. Because it's in a book, you don't have to believe it. Make sure that it lines up with a thus saith the Lord. What do you say? Because the devil's going to work from the inside. He did that in the Old Testament. He did that in the New Testament. He's going to do it in the last days. She goes on to say, these rumors will be believed. And in their turn, will, they, will, they will repeat them. Let me say that again. They will believe these rumors 
and in their turn will repeat them. And thus, look at this, a link will be formed connecting them with the arch deceiver. That's what we're going on. That's where the devil is coming at. But the Apostle Paul made it very clear. Notice what he said to the New Testament church at Corinth. He said, now I plead with you, brethren. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all together speak the same thing. Be doctrinally united, that there be no divisions among you. If there's something you need to get settled, get it settled now before Jesus returns but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the what else? Same judgment. That is God's ideal for his church. And the Apostle Paul continues in Ephesians 4 and verse 13. He says, here's the reason, here's the, here's the end result of when we are together in Christ. Till we all come to the what? Unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect or mature man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. One day we're all going to be like Jesus. But if you're going this way, and I'm going that way, and you believe this, and I believe that, and you're reading this book, and I'm reading that book, brethren, we can't be on the same page. But the reason why so many people are divided is because pride has taken the place. And so many people cannot say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I've learned as I've gotten older, you gain more footage by admitting your frailty than by standing in a pride that will lead you to being destroyed. If you're wrong, say it and apologize. But don't hold on to foolish pride thinking that somehow you've won some medal that can't get you into the kingdom of heaven. Unity. The remnant proclaimed the three angels' messages of Revelation chapter 14. I'm so thankful that camp meeting coming up is going to be that focus. They're claiming that prior to the proclamation of Revelation 18, verse 1 to 4, calling God's people out, which takes me to my fifth point. I just have one left. Hold on. Why is Satan angry with us? The fifth point is the remnant have the same mission as Jesus. Say that with me. The remnant have the what? Same mission as Jesus. The same mission. You see, the devil knows that there is a remnant somewhere that's not just proclaiming the message, but they're living in harmony with the message. Right, Karen? You can say anything, but I tell you, people believe more what they see than what you say. The same spirit that fell upon Jesus to begin his earthly ministry is the same Holy Spirit that falls upon the people of God. Let me say that before I read Isaiah 61. You see, my brethren, the Holy Spirit worked through the prophets' lives in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit anointed Jesus in his earthly ministry. The Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. And the Bible says through the prophet Joel, in the last days, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. How dare you question the integrity and veracity of the Holy Spirit? Jesus said in Isaiah 61, verse 1 to 3, notice what he said. Here's the mission that we must embrace. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Why? Because the Lord has anointed me to preach what? Good tidings to the poor. Not the materialistically poor, but the poor in spirit. He has sent me to heal the what? 
brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to who? The captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. He continues, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, meaning today is the best day to accept Jesus, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them what? Beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. That's the mission of Jesus. And that is the mission of the remnant. The remnant are members of a kingdom that is in sharp contrast to the kingdom of Satan. The remnant, according to this verse, are the conduit through which the benefits of heaven are extended. When I meet somebody, I want my life to bring joy to somebody who's experiencing sadness. Ellen White says that when people come into the presence of a Christian, they should leave more encouraged than when they came into that person's presence. How could somebody meet a Christian and leave more discouraged than when they didn't meet him? <laughs> I was sitting by the bedside of one of my dear brothers, and I just mentioned his name right now. I, was, I know we know about him. This may date the sermon, but Matthew Andrew, sitting by his bedside, visiting with Matthew, and he says, I, I may not be alive till Jesus comes unless he does some miracle, but I want you to know I'm not afraid. I'm settled in my mind. I got everything between me and the Lord settled right, and as long as I can breathe, I'm going to use my strength. Amen, somebody. To continue to talk about Jesus. To continue to know that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Oh, my brethren, when somebody meets a Christian and the world is falling apart, they ought to leave that Christian's presence knowing that the world may fall apart, but in Jesus we can be held together. But that's not the message today. The remnant knows that the change that Jesus offers does not end, Ramona, with legislation. It ends with a changed heart. You can legislate whatever you want, but until the Lord changes the heart, they'll be in the same predicament of the Ethiopian and the leopard. Jeremiah the prophet said, speaking about the condition of every man and woman on the planet that don't know Jesus, can the Ethiopian change his skin? What's the answer? No. Or the leper's spot, what's the answer? No. Then may you also do good who are accustomed to do evil. Watch the news. Sometimes it's depressing. It's depressing. Anybody agrees with me on that? The news is depressing. I had to pray a couple of days ago. I looked at the news longer than I should have. I know you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you get drawn in. <laughs> Want to see what they're saying? What's he saying? Rewind it. What did he say? And you get drawn in, and within your soul, that old person starts coming back. And words start walking towards your mouth that you know you shouldn't repeat. Come on. You know what I'm talking about. I paused at the dinner table. I said, Lord Jesus, help me not to be drawn in. And I turned it off and turned on some music. All that thrills my soul is Jesus. And I found peace. I put my headsets on, Joe, and I started leading. 
you know, it won't be long. Then we'll be leaving here. Yes, it won't be long. But if you get caught in the, in the vortex of what's happening around us, oh, it can be very discouraging. Which brings me to my last point. I know you've been breathing a long time, but I got my last point. The remnant understand the times. The remnant understand the times. I want to be very certain with you. I don't believe, and I, I've come to this conclusion based on the veracity of Bible prophecy. I don't believe that we got another hundred years in this earth. If we do, I'll be 162. That'd be a miracle if I'm still alive. But I don't believe, based on what I see, that we have another hundred years in the earth. It's, going, it's falling apart real quick. And like an old pair of jeans, one of my preachers said, it's time to get rid of them and get a new pair. It's falling apart. But what amazes me is that people are so in detail about what's happening in the financial world, the political world, the social world, the economic world, the music world, the video world, the movie world, but they can't look up and see what's happening in the world that's getting ready for the coming of Jesus. That was not new. Jesus said it to the church in his day, the people that rejected Jesus. Luke 12 and verse 56, Jesus looked at religious men who kept the Sabbath, ate the right thing, and he said, hypocrites, you discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it you do not discern the time? You can't tell. Who can not tell by what's taking place in our world that we're about to crash? People building houses right by the ocean, not me. When those ocean waves Roger, overflow the banks. I'm not going to be floating out in anybody's ocean. When those mountains, all those great, expensive, million-dollar homes in California going up like matchboxes, people's possessions going up in flames. And Ellen White says, we hear of the judgments of God on the land by sea, by earthquake, by wars, by storms, by fires that are unchecked. She says, yet in all these things, the providence of God can be read. God is showing us how frail we are. God is showing us that he does not pay attention to million-dollar homes. He's building a mansion out of precious gold. Streets of gold, walls of gold, gates of pearl. Every foundation is a different emerald and a different kind of precious stone. That's the kingdom I want to be in. What do you say? I don't know of anybody who has a pearl gate that's 42 feet high or whatever the measurement may be. But brethren, with the fulfillment of end time prophecies, the remnant know that they cannot abandon the end times message. They cannot abandon it. Why? Because Jesus's mission is their mission. What is our mission? It's the same as the mission of Jesus. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 to 15. Look at what the Bible says. Here is what we are committed to. Here is what we are dedicated to. Why? Because Jesus was dedicated to the same thing. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, that's all of us, he himself, Jesus, likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. And what else? 
and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You know, nothing brought me greater joy than when I gave an evangelistic series and somebody gave his or her life to Jesus. I remember this, that we, we call them the, the three ladies in California. My wife knows who I'm speaking about. There were three ladies, three, three ladies, three ladies. And what happened was these three ladies joined the church and when they joined, their husbands joined and their children joined and we baptized seven people together. And they said, when they heard the truth, they said, it was amazing. I didn't know this. And they went on to share and share and share and share. What happened? They stood firmly for the cause of God. They stood firmly. They did not give in. They were set. They were calibrated. They understood and they knew about the message. And they found freedom from the bondage that they were formerly in. And I believe today that God has people that are finding freedom. Because, friends, it has been Satan's unwavering purpose to shut up the woman, the church, and to kill the Jesus within her. Look at the scenario in the Bible as I begin to close. Notice what the Bible says. Speaking about Satan's aim. Revelation 12 and verse 4. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to do what? Devour her child as soon as it was born. As soon as it was born, the devil stood there trying to kill Jesus as soon as it was born. The devil pursued the woman through the wilderness, pursued the New Testament church from place to place, location to location. The devil pursued the woman through the wilderness. But Revelation chapter 12 and verse 14 says what happened. The devil pursued the woman, but I like the text, how it begins, but... The woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. The church is still alive today because God always had a plan to protect his church. The devil tried to do this, but the woman was given. God has given us our security today. Can you say amen? Satan tried to drown the church during the dark ages through compromise and false doctrines. But Revelation 12 and verse 16, look at how it starts. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. But, don't you like that word? The devil did this, but God did. But the earth helped. God is in the business of preserving his church. And today... As we stand on the final conflict, I have an announcement to make, and I'm closing on this thought. Brethren, it's going to be worse than it has ever been. Satan's final onslaught is going to be too intense for those who are just settling as just being church members. The last battle is going to be too fierce for those who are lazy and spiritually complacent. The only guarantee for a remnant victory is the armor of Almighty God. I can see Jesus standing before those military recruits that were not content to stop at basic training, Ramona. They kept going. These soldiers have scars. The remnant know what it's like to be shot at. They know what it's like to fight. They don't back down when the weapons of hatred and compromise are aimed at them. 
Gazing on their battle scars, Jesus issues a directive. Timothy writes, Paul writes this to Timothy, the directive of Jesus. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 3. Yeah, we're going to have hardship, but endure it for the sake of the kingdom. Amen, someone. Endure it. Recalling the frailty of our humanity, Jesus reminds us again in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 4, notice his words, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but what else? Mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. There are some days that you feel like using your humanity to win. Don't use your humanity. Use the, the divinity of Jesus. That's where the battle is won successfully. Jesus Knowing that every weapon of Satan's arsenal is real, he looks at the remnant and he says these words, Ephesians 6, verse 10 and 11. Repeat it with me. What does he say? Finally, my brethren, be strong in... Let me start and do that again. Can you read it with me? Finally, my brethren, be what? Strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against what? The wiles of the devil. Here is the true picture of the final war. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Jesus says you're not going to even see where the attack is coming from. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness where? In heavenly places. That's the true picture of the final battle. And then he looks at them and says, you are not ready until you do the next thing. Verse 13. Therefore, Ephesians 6, 13, therefore take up the what? Whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the what day? Evil day. And having done all to stand. My brethren, the belt of your uniform has to be truth. The helmet must be that which will keep us in the walk of salvation. Satan's bullets are armor-piercing. We must stand firm with the breastplate of righteousness. This battle is going to be fierce, but when we stand firm in Christ, we shall all make it through together. What do you say? The remnant are not weak, the remnant are meek. And I ask you today, the remnant live for two reasons. For two reasons. How many reasons did I say? Two reasons. They live to make the devil angry, and they live to please Jesus. And my question to you today is, which category do you want to be in? My brethren, which category do you want to be in? I want to make the devil so angry that he runs after me and finds Jesus at my front door. I want to join Paul and Peter and Silas and Timothy. I want to stand with John on the island of Patmos. And when they try to aim their weapons at us, I'm going to say, Jesus, somebody's knocking at the door. Somebody's ringing the bell. Do me a favor. Open the door. And don't let them in. Today, my brothers and sisters, we've got to take on the whole armor of God. We've got to get ready for the battle that is ahead of us. Live to make the devil angry 
and to make Jesus happy. Live to reflect the character of Christ. Live to stand firm on the uncompromising word of God. Live that somebody might see the light and come out of darkness. Live so that when the final story is told, you'll stand before unfallen worlds and say, I made it by the merits of the grace of Christ. Amen, somebody. That's the only way we're going to make it. And Jesus said, when you feel like it's going to be so intense, you're going to give in. Remember my words, don't give up until the battle is won. He who endures to the end shall be saved. Matthew 24 and verse 13. So my brethren, am I speaking to the remnant today? Am I speaking to the remnant today? You want to be in that battle? You want to be a part of those who are going to be victorious in Christ? My brother and sister, if you're watching today, and those of you that are here, if it is your determination today to stay in that battle, to put on the whole armor of God, the helmet of salvation, get used to using your sword, it is only by the use of God's sword that you'll reduce every ounce of lie to shreds of paper. Put on the whole armor of God, and when you are fully armored, don't forget what Jesus says. You can win the battle better on your knees than on your feet. Today, my brother and my sister, how many of you want to stand with me and say, I want to be in that remnant. I know it's coming, but I want to be in that remnant. If that's your desire, my brethren, if it's our desire, we may look like a motley crew sometimes, but I want to tell you Jesus started with 12. Then he poured the Holy Spirit down on the day of Pentecost. His army increased. They went through deprivation and hardship and persecution. They faced the famine, the sword, nakedness, the blade, the rack, the coliseums of persecution. They understand what the lion's den is about and what a furnace is all about. They faced the rack. But there is a day coming when they'll stand untattered on the sea of glass. I want to be in that number. I want to be in that number. But don't make this mistake. Don't think that number is based on how you feel. It's based on what Jesus has done. I want to pray today. If there's somebody watching today that says, I want to learn more about the remnant. I want to learn more about the remnant. You can reach us here at our church. You can go to our website, tvsdac.org, and you can send us an email or you can mail me directly, pastor at tvsdac.org. We're glad to give you information. I've received so many letters from people that are responding to what they're hearing here, but I want you to know that the day is coming. God has better plans for you than any earthly potentate, any earthly leader. And if you want to be a part of the remnant, the best is yet to come. Loving Father in heaven, we stand in the whole armor of God because we're living in the evil day. The remnant, they refuse to flinch in the face of the adversary. They refuse to close their Bibles in the courts of popular opinion. They refuse to compromise for the sake of feeling. They refuse to stand in the long lines of popularity just to embrace an emotional high. These are they that know what it's like to stand by themselves. 
but they understood the fellowship of those who are of like faith. Believers that can sing in dungeons. Believers that can proclaim the goodness of God when the walls of the prisons close them in. Believers that understand that only when their religion shines in the midst of persecution is its genuineness revealed. Father, teach us not to be marshmallow Christians, but soldiers in the army of the Lord. And when we love as you love and care as you care, when we lift the burdens of those who are downcast and touch the hearts of those who have no answers for tomorrow, then and only then will all the pieces of our armor come into play. Send us forth, Father, from this place. But Lord Jesus, never send us from your presence. And may we be determined to look beyond the flying bullets of hell to the crown of heaven. May we look beyond the tattered garments of earthly challenges and contentions and wars to the robe of righteousness. May we look beyond the things that earthly leaders are demanding and the only thing that Jesus requires. And may we trust you to sustain us until the day that our faith becomes sight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.